Well, good morning. We're going to be looking here at James chapter 1 this morning. So James chapter 1, and we'll begin reading in verse 19 and read down through the end of the chapter. So James 1 verse 19, this you know, my beloved brethren, but everyone must be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger, for the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. Therefore, putting aside all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness, in humility receive the word implanted, which is able to save your souls. But prove yourselves doers of the word and not merely hearers who delude themselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks at his natural face in a mirror. For once he has looked at himself and gone away, he has immediately forgotten what kind of person he was. But one who looks intently at the perfect law, the law of liberty, and abides by it, not having become a forgetful hearer, but an effectual doer, this man will be blessed in what he does. If anyone thinks himself to be religious, and yet does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his own heart, This man's religion is worthless. Pure and undefiled religion in the sight of our God and Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself unstained by the world. Well, my original intent was to attempt to cover this whole section um, in one message, but I uh, began realizing there was a lot more material than I could cover in one message. And so, Lord willing, we'll be looking at this section over the course of two messages. Of course, I'll be gone next week, so we won't pick this back up for a couple of weeks. Um, But this section can be broken into three parts. And the first part is in verses 19 and 20, and it talks about hearing, speaking, and anger. And then the second part in verse 21 talks about receiving the word, And then the third part, verses 22 to the end of the chapter, talks about practicing the word or being a doer of the word. And so, Lord willing, today we're going to look at these first two, uh, verses 19 through 21, and then we'll talk about being a doer of the word next time. Um, But to begin with, I want to highlight how often this phrase, the word, Uh, comes up in this section. And if you notice in verse 21, uh, it says, in humility receive the word implanted. And then in verse 22, it talks about being a doer of the word. And then in verse 23, it says, if anyone is a hearer of the word only and not a doer. So it keeps coming back to this phrase, the word. And um, I feel like you could kind of summarize this section here um, as being, first, how we should receive the word, which we're going to talk about that today, and then next time, how we should respond to the word, being a doer of the word. But before James talks about how we should receive the word, he first talks about some general character qualities we should have, and those are in verses 19 and 20. And he does this in a way that is almost like a proverb 
be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. One commentator that I read uh, linked verse 19 with what follows and said that this is referring to how we should handle the word. In other words, be quick to hear the word, be slow to speak the word. And it certainly does have application to that. We should be characterized by being quick to hear the word of God. We should be eager to hear and receive it. We should be seeking out opportunities where we could be placed under the teaching of the word of God. And this is all part of being quick to hear. And if this is referring to um, specifically hearing and speaking the word, then the next part of the, the verse here where it talks about being slow to speak might be understood in the context of being slow or being careful in how we handle the word in a teaching sense. And James says in chapter 3, verse 1, Let not many of you become teachers, my brethren, knowing that as such we will incur a stricter judgment. So in other words, we need to be careful in how we handle the word of God. We shouldn't be hasty in proclaiming the word. We should be careful because it is the very word of God. So we should be slow to speak. But this interpretation may be correct, but I feel that it limits the application that James is referring to here. When we look at verse 19, he doesn't specifically say be quick to hear the word. He just says be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. I think he is referring to a general characteristic that we should all have, whether or not we're a teacher or not, we should all have these characteristics in all areas of our life, not just in the religious setting of our life, but in all areas of our life. Not just in how we handle God's word, but in every circumstance, whether you're a teacher of the word or not. Whether you're sitting around discussing theology or whether you're in a meeting at work discussing some project for work, these characteristics should be uh, in our life. We should all be characterized by being quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to anger. And certainly that means it does apply to how we handle God's word, but it goes beyond that to even our interactions with one another. If these qualities are characteristic in our life, then they will bear fruit in every area of our life, including how we handle God's word. And so with that introduction, I want to just look here first at verses 19 and 20, and then we'll finish by looking at verse 21. So in verse 19, it says, Be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. Now, Scripture often comes to our weakest point and gives us instruction there. The Bible is very practical. And of all the writers of Scripture, James is one of the most practical in his application to our lives. And what are we prone to do in regards to hearing and speaking? In our flesh, we are slow to listen and quick to speak and quick to anger. In other words, we're just the opposite of what James is saying here. And God will put his finger on our needs. And here in James, we see the finger of God being placed in an area that we all need growth in, 
quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. So what is it that we struggle with so much in this area? Well, we want others to hear what we have to say, yet so often we don't take time to listen to what others have to say. It might be because of selfishness, where we don't want to take the time to listen, in other words, selfishness with our time, or maybe it's a little more subtle in that we are just too preoccupied with our own thoughts, our own agenda, and we don't stop to listen to what others have to say. Um, either way, it's, it's still selfishness. Or uh, we might be slow to hear and quick to speak because of pride, where we feel like what we have to say is more important than what the other person has to say. And we, out of pride, we want to get that out. We want to, want to be able to make sure that others can hear us. Whatever the reason, if self is not put to death in this area, it will show in the way we listen and the way we speak. If self is ruling our hearts, we will be quick to speak and slow to listen, which is exactly the opposite of what James is saying here. Well, the connection between hearing and speaking, I think, is very obvious. These two go together in a very clear way. But why does James mention anger here? You know, be quick to listen, slow to speak. Those two, I can very much see how they fit together. But then he follows that up immediately with, and slow to anger. So what is the connection of anger with hearing and speaking? Well, one connection, I'm not saying this is the only one, but one connection that I see is how all three relate to self-control. If we are lacking in self-control, it will oftentimes manifest itself by a lack of listening and an excess of speaking. And I thought of some Proverbs um, that deal with this. And it was amazing as I started looking at it how much the idea of self-control comes up in these Proverbs. Proverbs 10.19, Where there are many words, transgression is unavoidable, but he who restrains his lips is wise. Restraining, that's the idea of self-control. Proverbs 13.3, The one who guards his mouth, again, self-control, preserves his life. The one who opens wide his lips comes to ruin. Opening wide, that's no self-control. It's just letting it all come out. Proverbs 15, 28, the heart of the righteous ponders how to answer. In other words, there's self-control, stopping and listening. But the mouth of the wicked pours out evil things. Again, you get the idea there. There's no restraint. There's no control, just pouring out. And then we read this already. This isn't a proverb, but in James 1, 26, it says, If anyone thinks himself to be religious and yet does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, this man's religion is worthless. Bridling the tongue, again, has to do with self-control. So these verses all deal with self-control as it relates to our speaking, but what about anger? It should be obvious that anger is a product of a lack of self-control, and oftentimes the lack of self-control in our speaking is directly related to a lack of self-control in our emotion, in our anger. And I think it is safe to say that most of the time, our anger is revealed through our words. 
what we say and how we say it. In other words, our anger is revealed by our tongue. And of course, anger begins in the heart. It doesn't begin in the tongue, but it manifests itself through what we say. Something happens and we let go of self-control. We give in to anger and we say something that we shouldn't say. There can be other manifestations of anger, but I think the primary one is the tongue. And Proverbs has a lot to say about anger. And again, there is such a correlation with this idea of self-control. So here's just a few to consider. Proverbs 15:18: A hot-tempered man stirs up strife, but the slow to anger calms a dispute. 16:32: He who is slow to anger is better than the mighty, and he who rules his spirit than he who captures a city. The idea, again, ruling your spirit is that idea of self-control. And then Proverbs 29.11, a fool always loses his temper, the idea of losing control there, but a wise man holds it back. Again, self-control in regards to anger. Well, James goes on in verse 20, to say that the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. Why does he say this? Shouldn't it be obvious that our anger is not going to achieve the righteousness of God? I'm angry, therefore I'm probably not going to say something that is going to be pleasing to the Lord and helpful in this situation. You would think that in our minds it would be like, well, yeah, that's obvious. Anger doesn't equal the righteousness of God. Yet we can so easily deceive ourselves and convince ourselves that our anger is actually a righteous anger and is somehow justified. As a parent, think about this, you've told your children over and over not to do something or to do something and they continue to disobey for the 40th time this morning, it seems like. And that emotion just begins to be worked up uh, in you, you feel very justified in your anger and declare it a righteous anger. Therefore, what I say must be inspired by God because it's this righteous anger. And here is where we need this very reminder from James. Your anger will not achieve or accomplish the righteousness of God. Or maybe you see someone doing something that you think is dishonoring to the Lord and it bothers you. Um, And it is right to be grieved by actions and situations that dishonor the Lord. That is right to have that struggle in your heart. But in that moment, we should never sacrifice self-control out of zeal for God's honor. And I thought of a few examples of this. Think of the disciples wanting to command fire to come down upon those Samaritans there who wouldn't allow Jesus to come through there because he was on his way to Jerusalem. Instead of achieving the righteousness of God, they were rebuked by Jesus. Why? Because their own anger, it was their own anger and not the anger of God. God was not in that at all. It was just their own emotion, their own anger. Or think of Moses When the children of Israel are complaining again against Moses and against the Lord, and Moses reacts in anger, they were sinning by complaining and being unbelieving. 
Um, so surely a harsh word from Moses is what is needed in this moment because they've done it over and over and over again. So now we're going to finally drop the hammer on him. Well, in Moses' anger, he neglected to obey the word of the Lord. And for this, he was kept from being able to enter into the promised land. The anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. And I read this quote from Matthew Henry that I thought really summed this up very well. He says, It is as if the apostle, that is the apostle James, had said, Whereas men often pretend zeal for God in his glory, in their heat and passion let them know that God needs not the passions of any man. His cause, that is God's cause, is better served by mildness and meekness than by wrath and fury. God's cause is better served by mildness and meekness than by wrath and fury. And I was thinking about this. What is most likely to accomplish the righteousness of God? A harsh word spoken in anger or a soft and gentle rebuke spoken in love? And obviously, when we're not in the moment, we can see that, yes, a gentle and soft word spoken in love is going to accomplish so much more than that harsh word. Well, one thing that I thought about just to balance this out is that some might be thinking we do have the example of Jesus who sternly rebuked the disciples. He sternly rebuked the Pharisees and the religious leaders. He went into the temple. He turned over tables. He drove people out with a scourge of cords. And in that section, it says, zeal for thy house will consume me. So what about this? Shouldn't we have that kind of zeal for God's honor? How does that fit in with this idea of being slow to anger? And honestly, I think there is a balance and both are needed, but I think we need to stop and ask this. What best describes the need in our life? Are we more prone to be um, full of anger or are we more prone to be the meek and mild and afraid to speak up for God's honor? I think most, if not all of us, would say we need help in regards to controlling our own anger. And that is what our focus should be primarily, not to disregard the zeal for God's honor. Um, but if we're honest, I think we would say we need help in regards to our own fleshly anger a lot more. And that's where James is speaking to here. Be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. Well, what if we fall short in all three of these? And I can confess for myself that that's how I oftentimes feel. Well, we shouldn't lose heart. We should confess it to the Lord and ask for help and independence upon him seek to grow in these areas. And I thought of this verse here in Psalm 145 that I think is, is a wonderful way to approach areas of need in our own life. Psalm 145, verse 18 and 19. The Lord is near to all who call upon him, to all who call upon him in truth. He will fulfill the desire of those who fear him. He will also hear their cry and will save them. I was thinking about this. 
a question to ask ourselves. Do we fear the Lord? Do we seek to honor him? Is that really our heart's desire? Do we desire to remain in sin or do we desire to be um, delivered from sin, to be walking more closely with him? If it is your desire to be walking with the Lord in a closer way, here it says, he will fulfill the desire of those who fear him. This is a good desire. The Lord is not going to just leave us where we're at. If we will come to him confessing our need, confessing how we need help from him, he will help us. He will hear their cry and will save them. Well, moving on, then let's look at verse 21 here. So verse 21 says, Therefore, putting aside all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness, in humility receive the word implanted, which is able to save your souls. So we said at the beginning that this section is about receiving the word and responding to the word. And here we see it clearly in this verse where it says specifically, receive the word. Now we probably need to stop briefly and define this, the word. And I think it's just speaking in general to scripture, to the Bible, the written word of God. I don't think James is saying here, receive the word, meaning just receive my letter that I'm sending to you, but rather receiving the word of God, that is the scriptures, the Bible. So what might keep a person from receiving the word? In the beginning of the verse, give some commands, putting aside all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness. So we could summarize this by saying, put off sinning. Sin will hinder the work of the word in your life. And that seems pretty obvious. How can the word implant and grow if it is still in a heart that is wrapped up in sin? Think of the parable of the soils. The seed that was planted in the thorny ground did grow some, but it was choked out by the thorns. In other words, it couldn't grow there because there was things that were hindering its growth. And sin is just that. It is going to hinder our growth. Paul says in Romans 8, verse 13, For if you are living according to the flesh, you must die. But if by the Spirit you are putting to death the deeds of the body, you will live. And again, in Romans thirteen twelve, the night is almost gone and the day is near. Therefore, let us lay aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. So this is the same idea as what James is saying here. Put aside, put to death the deeds of the flesh, the deeds of the body. But I thought of another verse that I think is even more parallel to this, and that is in 1 Peter 2, where Peter writes, Therefore, putting aside all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. So that kind of fits in with the beginning here in uh, James 21, uh, putting aside all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness. They're both talking about putting something aside. But then Peter goes on and says, Like newborn babies long for the pure milk of the word so that by it you may grow in respect to salvation. So put aside these deeds of the flesh 
so that you will receive the word, like it says in James, or like Peter says, so that you will long for the pure milk of the word. Sin hinders our ability to receive the word, and it also hinders our appetite for the word. Put it off. Notice also, though, the tense, the verb tense here in James, where he says, um, putting aside, uh, there in verse 21, therefore, putting aside all filthiness. It's not just a one time put aside, but this ongoing action, putting aside, doing it now and continuing to do it going forward. We put aside sin at conversion. And we continue to put sin aside every day. It's this ongoing action. Um, This quote that you're all familiar with by John Owen, be killing sin or it will be killing you. Well, notice that James begins verse 21 with the word, therefore, therefore putting aside all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness. So what came just before verse 21? Well, it's what we looked at already, being quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. When he says putting aside all that remains of wickedness, he may very well be including these three things that we just looked at, listening, speaking, and anger. Put aside ears that are slow to hear. Put aside sinful and hasty speech. Put aside anger. These are some of the things that if not dealt with will hinder us from being able to receive the word. It will negatively affect our ability to receive the word. How can we receive the word if we're too busy talking and not able to stop and listen? How can we receive the word if we are prone to anger and react in defensiveness whenever someone tries to share something with us or whenever we read something in the word that convicts us? If that defensive mechanism always kicks in, how are we ever going to receive something from the word? Well, let's look at a few of these specific words here in verse 21 it says in humility receive the word we're going to get to humility here in just a second but I want to talk about this idea of receiving the word what does this mean well to answer that let's consider it from the negative what is the opposite of receiving the word hardening your heart against the word pushing back against it Instead, we should lay our defenses down and listen to what the word is saying. Be quick to listen, what he said there earlier in verse 19. So here's an example. Think about this. If Russell, working for UPS, brings a package to you and asks for a signature, you know, some of those packages you have to sign to get them, you have two options. Either you sign for it and receive that package or you don't sign it and reject it. You refuse that package. We don't want to be that way with the word. We don't want to reject it. We want to receive it. And another example I thought of. Um, in football, the guy who runs out to catch the pass from the quarterback is called a receiver. 
It's not enough for him just to run the route, get open, and then have the ball just bounce off his hands when it comes to him. He has to receive the ball. He must bring it in to himself in order for it to be a successful reception. And so it is with the word. It's not enough to let the words come to our ears. We have to bring them into our heart. We must receive the word in that way. Receiving the word is not passive. It is very active. And I think oftentimes we kind of get in this mentality, and I include myself in this, I'm here to listen. I'm here in this passive sense of just letting words come to me. But that's not what it's talking about when it's receiving the word. There's action involved. Think again about the football example. That wide receiver doesn't passively receive that football. There is action on his part. He has to run his route to get to where the open spot is. He has to stretch out many times to grab the ball. He has to clench it and pull it into himself so that he can protect it so that someone else can't slap it away. There's action on his part to be able to catch that football. And we are... We have to have that same kind of mentality. It's not this passive mode of just listening, but we have to go and get the word in that sense. Bring it into us. Bring it into our heart to believe the word. If someone shares something with you from the word, and I already kind of mentioned this, um, and your first response is to defend yourself, that's not receiving the word. To receive the word is to accept it and believe it. And that's, that's key in this idea of receiving the word, believing the word. Many of the Jews and Pharisees uh, were rebuked by Jesus for being hard-hearted and unbelieving. They were an example of not receiving the word. They heard Jesus speak. It's not that their ears weren't working. They heard what he was saying, but they didn't believe him. They didn't receive his word. Well, let's look then at this idea here because we can't skip over this. Humility. What quality is absolutely necessary for us to be able to receive the word? And that is humility. James states it very plainly. In humility, receive the word. So pride is going to be our great enemy. It will keep us from receiving truth. And notice it says here, receive the word implanted. And this gives the idea of soil and a seed. What kind of soil is going to be best for receiving a seed, for taking it in and allowing it to be implanted and grow? It's going to be soil that is soft and moist. In other words, wet, soft soil is going to receive a seed a lot better than dry, hard uh, soil. Pride is like the hard, dry soil. It will keep truth from penetrating and implanting in our hearts. Pride will defend against anything that opposes self. And if we're not walking in humility um, or receiving the word with humility, then pride is somehow going to shoot it down, shoot truth down before it ever reaches our heart. And so if we are going to have the truth implanted in us, 
we must have humility. And I thought of a few examples of this um, in the New Testament. We want to be like Cornelius, who said to Peter, we are all here present before God to hear all the things that are commanded you from God. That's a good example of the heart attitude that we ought to have when we're coming before the word of God. We want to hear all the things that God has commanded for us. And when Cornelius says, um, hear all the things, he means receive it, both hearing and believing. And then also there's the example of the Bereans, the noble Bereans, who received the word with great eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see whether these things were so. So they were a wonderful example of how to receive the word. They showed eagerness, which is a desire for the word. They showed diligence and discernment by examining the scriptures. And I think we can add to that, that they showed humility by being open to what the Lord was saying to them through the teaching of Paul and Silas. They were eagerly, in other words, there wasn't this resistance to what Paul and Silas were saying. They were eagerly receiving this and then taking it back and examining the scriptures. That is an example to us of what it looks like to receive the word. Well, finally, I want to close just by looking at this last phrase at the end of verse 21, where it says, uh, receive the word implanted, which is able to save your souls. The word that we are to receive is not just any word. If you put into practice these truths that we've looked at today about being quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, and receiving with humility the word, if you put those into practice, then even in a secular setting, you will reap benefits. If you practice this on the job, you're going to grow in wisdom and in learning your skill, your trade. You'll be viewed very favorably by your boss and by your coworkers. I mean, who would not want to have a coworker that is slow to speak, quick to listen, doesn't get angry, and is always receiving what you have to say with humility? That's that's like a model employee right there. So you're going to you're going to have favor in that sense in the job place. But all that knowledge and wisdom won't gain you anything as far as your soul. It won't save your soul. The word that we're to receive is not just any word. It is the very word of God. It has life in it. If we receive this word, it is able to save our souls. And it shows the seriousness of it, too, because if we don't receive this word, if we reject it, then we are rejecting the very salvation we so desperately need. And I thought of a a couple of verses here in John's gospel. And the first one, uh, Jesus speaking, he says, He who rejects me and does not receive my sayings has one who judges him. The word I spoke is what will judge him on the last day. So, in other words, not receiving the word of God is to not receive God himself. But on the other hand, we should be like the disciples of whom Jesus said about them in the high priestly prayer, For the words which you gave me, that is, that the Father gave to the Son, I have given to them, given to the disciples, and they received them, 
and truly understood that I came forth from you, and they believed that you sent me. That's what we want for each one of us, that we receive what the Lord gives us and that we believe it. And let me just turn to this one real quick. I thought of this after I had printed off my notes already. Um, In John 1, John 1, 1, in the beginning was the word. So here we have this very same phrase, the word, only now instead of it speaking about the written scriptures here, it's speaking of Jesus himself. And it's something to think about that in regards to what James is saying here, in humility, receiving the word which is able to save your soul. I think James did have in mind when he's writing that, I think he's talking about scripture. But it is amazing to think that here is one of the descriptions of Christ himself. When we're opening up scripture, we're not just reading passages of good teaching, you know, how to live a better life. We're reading about Christ himself. This is what it's all pointing to. Receive that. Believe that. So may the Lord help us to to live this. I know, like I said, I know I fall short in this, and I'm sure many others do as well. But the Lord is able to deliver. The Lord is able to help. To the one who is hungry, blessed are those who are hungry and hungering and thirsting for righteousness, for they will be satisfied. If we're coming to the Lord with humility, Lord, I want to hear from you. I need to hear from you. The Lord is faithful to feed us. So Lord willing, next time um, that I'm here anyway, we'll go on and look at the last part of this in James where it talks about being doers of the word. So first, we need to understand that we need to listen. We need to receive the word, and then we'll follow that up the next time and talk about being a doer of the word. Well, Why don't we go ahead and close in prayer here. Father, we thank you for giving us your word. Lord, we, we just think about um, what the description there. It said, those who walk in darkness saw a great light. And Lord, we, we know that prior to your son coming, that there was great darkness across the land. But Lord, the light of life has come. And here we have now, scripture written to tell us what he said what he did to tell us about eternal life lord help us to dig into this word lord help us to have these qualities that we've looked at today lord to be slow to speak quick to hear slow to anger lord help us to receive your word in all humility Father, we don't want to remain where we're at. Lord, we want to press on. We want to grow. Lord, we want to be conformed more and more into your image. So we ask that you would help us, that you would do the work in us, which we are unable to do in our own strength. So Lord, please help us. Thank you for this time that we have together again here. Lord, your faithfulness to us for another week. We're thankful for it. Pray that you would be with us now. In Jesus' name, amen.